This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, January 11th, 2013. I'm Caleb Brown. The president has hinted at using an executive order to restrict private gun ownership in the United States. But how far can that go before Congress has to get involved? Dave Kopel is an associate policy analyst at the Cato Institute. We spoke today. When these types of events occur, there is typically an initial reaction. There's a lot of uh, charged rhetoric. Things calm down a little bit, and then substantive proposals are put together. Uh, President Obama seems to be at least hinting at the idea of doing something through executive order with respect to guns. What can the president do through executive order, and what does he need Congress to do? Well, he has uh, broad power on import of firearms. Uh, granted by the Gun Control Act of 68. The Gun Control Act does set some boundaries on the president's power over imports. On the other hand, nothing a president has done in terms of banning a particular type of import has ever been uh, struck down by a court. The courts are are extremely deferential uh, to presidential decisions on this, even when the the decisions uh, perhaps exceed the statutory authority which uh, Congress granted him. The National Firearms Act of 1934 uh, has a procedure by which many shotguns could be classified as destructive devices, which would bring them into the same regulatory category as machine guns, meaning you pay a $200 tax to possess one, you have to be fingerprinted, photographed, a registration process with the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives that takes months. And in addition, you have to get permission from your local police chief or sheriff to possess it at all. So there's a, he could could classify many shotguns, anything, uh, almost every 12-gauge shotgun could be, any 12-gauge shotgun could be reclassified as a destructive device uh, simply by him finding that it is not suitable for sporting purposes. Uh, in addition, and this would be a, an even, a bolder step, there's a category uh, in the National Firearms Act that refers to things like rocket launchers, grenades, bombs, and similar devices. He could claim that whatever firearms he wants to ban, and Congress has rejected that ban, he could then say, well, I'm going to reclassify them as destructive devices under the National Firearms Act. That would be a rather bold usurpation, but lots of presidents have gotten away with equally bold usurpations. Some of the debate going on right now is about magazines, about the number of bullets that can be put into magazines. Uh, Bob Levy did an interview with the Washington Post uh, detailing some of uh, his thoughts on the matter. What do you think about about this portion of the of the argument? Well, I, I think Bob accurately identified the most severe constitutional problem with magazine bans, because as he, Bob said, the Supreme Court in District of Columbia versus Heller said the Second Amendment. What kind of arms are protected by the Second Amendment? Well, the ones that are commonly owned by law-abiding citizens for legitimate purpose. For, for, for legitimate purposes, as opposed to what the Supreme Court called, called dangerous and unusual arms. So magazines in the 11 to 19 range are very common 
in handguns these days. Those are not high-capacity magazines. They are standard magazines, factory standard magazines for semi-automatic handguns, which are about three-quarters of the handguns uh, sold in the country today. And if you look at an ordinary police officer, which I think is a good standard for what's appropriate for the lawful defense of self and others, you will see most police officers these days that their primary sidearm wearing on their belt holster is a semi-automatic handgun with a magazine capacity between 11 and 19 rounds. So I think Bob was absolutely right to identify this 10-round magazine ban of Senator Feinstein and the others is absolutely very plainly unconstitutional under uh, D.C. versus Heller. As we know, the Cato Institute itself never has a position on anything. Different scholars at Cato have their own positions and they, they say what they think. And uh, Bob, who is a uh, very sincere supporter of the Second Amendment, but also a guy who, who frankly admits he's not a, an expert on guns, went on to speculate that maybe a ban on magazines of more than 20 uh, might be all right. I think where that runs into a problem is again under the Supreme Court's common use test. The AR-15 rifle is the most popular rifle in the United States and, and has been for years. It is often sold factory standard with a 30-round magazine. And in terms of what makes sense for self-defense, the AR-15 semi-automatic rifle, not a machine gun, but the AR-15 rifle is very commonly carried by police in their squad cars as their backup long gun to have. Most, most police cars have a long gun in them, and these days it is increasingly the AR-15 that is their firearm of choice, and typically with a 30-round magazine. Now, the police don't carry guns to go hunting. They don't carry guns to be gun collectors. They carry them for only one purpose, which is the lawful defense of self and others that police officers choose an AR-15 with a 30-round magazine really tells you that it is a very good gun for the defense of self and others. And it is not contrary to some of these really vicious lies put out by some of the gun prohibitionists. It's not something that's, that's made for massacring innocent people. Police departments don't want their officers going out and massacring a bunch of innocent people. Police officers, want, police departments want police officers to use guns to save the lives of innocent people. The AR-15 is their gun of choice, and that tells you it is at the core of the Second Amendment right protected by Heller, which is about lawful self-defense. A lot of people were very disappointed in the way that the NRA yeah. handled this whole event. Yeah. They were essentially calling for more armed guards in schools, and they felt that, I mean, I'm one of them. I felt that was a very disappointing response. What drives the NRA to make that case, and uh, how do you evaluate their argument? Well, I think the NRA sincerely agrees with President Obama, as I do, that Newtown, the mass murder of school children, is intolerable. And we have to change so that this stops happening. Now, what changes are we going to adopt? Some people propose various gun bans. Maybe those would supposedly do some good after a period of years, although in a country with 300 million guns, I don't expect a lot of uh, positive benefits from trying to ban guns at this point. I've advocated for much stronger 
civil commitment laws and more funding for mental health. And I think that's, that's important uh, as, at the state level. But again, that's not something that's going to have an immediate impact. The thing that immediately ends school shootings is somebody shooting back. The Newtown killer had 20 minutes to fire 150 rounds of ammunition and murder 26 people before the police showed up. What you want to do is take that window of opportunity of murdering from 20 minutes down and make it as small as possible, ideally zero. There are a dozen times in this country's recent history when would-be mass murders in public, murderers in public places, including in schools, have been stopped by off-duty police officers, by on-duty police officers, or by armed citizens, including a vice principal uh, at Pearl Mississippi High School. It's the only thing that makes a difference right now. This country wants, and the children in this country deserve, an end to these things right now. Not a policy that'll have a good benefit in five years, not a policy that'll have a good benefit in two years or in eight months. An immediate solution is essential. And the only solution that immediately works to attacks on schools is the ability to fight back. And we know that when that happens, the attacks end quite quickly. The people who are doing these attacks are not experienced gangsters, longtime violent career criminals with a lot of uh, experience uh, fighting the police. They are weaklings and cowards, and they tend to crumble at resistance. It's hard to have a really good discussion on this subject because it seems that this discussion only occurs following the actions of somebody who is mentally ill. And these are high-profile events, but they're not where most of killings with guns occur. They're in suburban areas or rural areas. Uh, so how do you get to a better debate about this kind of issue, about the, the uses and proper uh, possession of guns under the Constitution? Well, I suppose that that's the, the meta mission of Cato is to provide rational, thoughtful, and constructive debate on a, a whole range of policy issues. And likewise, the think tank that I'm based at in, in Colorado, the Independence Institute, does the same thing. But the particular difficulty on the gun issue right now is what we are seeing is the Australian model, where there is a wide variety of gun confiscation and other anti-gun legislation that is waiting to be sprung when there is a notorious crime, especially a mass murder. That's what was used. That model, have the legislation, wait for the big crime, exploit public indignation and emotion at their highest, and pass something so quickly before people have the opportunity to consider what's really being done, to exploit and inflame hysteria rather than to have a constructive discussion to reasonable laws, and it led to the mass confiscation of firearms in Australia. Yeah. Three days after Newtown, I was on CNBC. Howard Dean, former chair of the Democratic National Committee, said that's exactly what we need to do in the United States, use the Australian model of mass confiscation. But in the United States, it seems that events like this 
don't typically change most Americans' views on uh, what we should do about with respect to private gun ownership. I think that's right, that the, the polling we've seen has seen some small movement in public opinion on guns, but the, we've been having a gun control debate in this country for 50 years, so most people have made up their minds about what they think about the issue. But we have an important difference now, is post-election, President Obama now has on the gun issue the same flexibility he promised uh, President Putin that he would have post-election on, on missile defense. And, you know, we had Virginia Tech, we've had all ki kinds of mass murders when President Obama, when Barack Obama was a candidate for election and re-election, and he had a rather muted response to that. First opportunity post-election, he has gone all out on the anti-gun agenda and is very clearly, as he said, it's going to be a central issue of his second term and they are doing everything they can to keep this as the top issue in the news with the president driving the agenda. Dave Kopel is an associate policy analyst at the Cato Institute. You can read more of his work at Cato.org.